At Jiffy Lube, it's our job to keep you moving. With a full range of services from oil changes and tire rotations to filters, wipers, and more, we've got what your car needs, so you're ready for whatever's next. Putting you in the driver's seat of car care, that's a job for Jiffy. Visit JiffyLube.com to find a service center near you. Hello, everyone. Happy March 16th. I trust that your week has been an odyssey, a spiritual odyssey of (laughs) constant unfoldment and insight. Uh, Powerful, powerful stuff. All right. Hey, guys. So, Steve, we have uh, Stephen, Tom, uh, Brian, and Amina on the call? Yep. Yeah. All right. What a power group. Woof. Yes. Okay. So, we're just going to hop right into work. So, I'm just going to open us up and pray us in. <sighs> so, let's just take a moment to... Feel into this sacred circle, five unique expressions of the divine coming together. A shared intention to peel away the layers of illusion, allow the truth to express freely. grateful and may we just set aside our judgments and fears and opinions so that we can be available here and now to what is calling to be recognized and remembered remembering our truth remembering love we release the rest and we share the benefits of remembrance with all. And so it is. Amen. Who has a course in miracles within arm's reach? I do. I do. Stephen, Amina. Brian. Brian, do you have yours? Yep. Oh, good. Tom, you got yours? Yeah. Oh, good. No wonder Spirit is telling me to read from the Course in Miracles. <laughs> um, but first, I have to put some eye drops in my eyes because something flew into my eye. So, <laughs> why don't you guys Ooh, check in with each other for two minutes as I do that so I can be present on the call. Uh, Amina, why don't you go first, and we'll go in alphabetical order. We're checking in with each other? Yeah, just check in. How's your week going? Hi, guys. Um, My week is interesting. 30 seconds to a minute. Okay. Um, My week is interesting. I'm uh, alternating between remembering the truth and forgetting and being some 
times uh, abruptly reminded of what I'm not doing. And, uh, <laughs> you know, um, I, I don't even know what to say, but I'm, I'm definitely in a mode of uh, growth and expansion, and it's, it's uncomfortable. And um, so, yeah, I'm just, I'm feeling, you know, I feel like I'm just being called to to deepen and to be more consistent in um, applying principles in every area. I'll leave it at that since I only have a minute. <laughs> I had a really <clears throat> wonderful little miracle experience today that's kind of indicative of my week and what my life is about lately. I'm driving down to Long Beach and I'm thinking about my upcoming God shot. And I'm uh, meditating and thinking, you know, kind of praying for ideas. And uh, I've been working a lot with tithing. And so then I started thinking about abundance. And then I started thinking about giving and the Native American idea of giving and giveaway and how I like to give away stuff. And while I'm thinking of that, I'm driving down the road and the radio is going on. And uh, there's a song that comes on. And uh, it's Steely Dan. And it's, oh, it will come back to you. Oh, it will come back to you. The exact moment that I'm thinking about giving and the giveaway and the cycle of abundance, that song comes on the radio. And it reminded me that, that God not only has everything planned, but planned way in advance. Like there's no way, you know, that was just happened because I was thinking that thought. The, the fact that I was going to be thinking that thought, the fact that that song was on the radio was pre-planned in eternity <laughs> or something like that it just blew my mind that's all uh my week's been uneventful thus far and i'm a-okay with that Woo-hoo. <laughs> would you say would you say you were grateful for that Stephen? I thought I'm o- quite okay with that. Yeah, I heard that, <laughs> but I'm asking. <laughs> oh, y- yeah. <laughs> the subtle difference between okay and grateful. <laughs> I am grateful for that, actually. <laughs> That's what I felt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mine hasn't been that uh, eventful. I did go by the LGBT center here in West Hollywood yesterday, and um, it was uh, it was good. And uh, today I got a hankering for some Popeyes chicken, so I went up to Hollywood Boulevard and uh, got me uh, some uh, Popeyes chicken uh, this afternoon and enjoyed it there. And then. Uh, I like their biscuits, so I bought about a half a dozen, and I brought them back here, and I put them, uh, I wrapped them uh, in uh, so that they stay fresh, and uh, I had another one, so I love their biscuits, and uh, so I'm going to be enjoying those for, uh, over the next couple of days. Nice. I was just passing by at Popeye's the other day. I'd never gone in. And I was tempted to go in and, and see what it was like, and now I have a recommendation for their biscuits. Woo! Oh, yeah, their biscuits are wonderful. 
I have never had Popeye's chicken. Uh-huh. It's very good. Yeah. Especially if you if you get the spice, they have a they're mild or spicy. And if you get the spicy one, it is pretty, it lives up to its name, let's put it that way. Uh, New Orleans, uh, Cajun spicy. Woohoo! Louisiana good. <laughs> so, if you want to, if you have like sinus problems like I do, and you want to clear your sinuses up, that's a very good uh, thing. Although today I had the mild, I kind of chickened out on the, the spicy. <laughs> I think that now would be a good time for us all just to close our eyes and contemplate our how grateful we are for Popeye's chicken and <laughs> how delicious it is and fried chicken really in general. <laughs> and then we send waves of love to Stephen and all those in South Carolina who <laughs> <laughs> are probably sitting down to enjoy a fried chicken dinner, right? <laughs> I may have to mute you so that I can... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for your... Taking good care of us. Um, okay, guys. So I'm going to invite you to turn to page 585 in A Course in Miracles in the text. In the text. And um, I don't know if any of you guys have, like, a way to you fold the page or mark the page, but this is a crucially important passage in A Course in Miracles, I believe, because it pretty much explains the dream and our role in the great illusion. So here's what we're going to do. I was not planning on doing this, but I just had the the intuitive nudge to go over this. We're going to read through the whole entire thing without stopping, and then we'll go back and we'll discuss it, okay? So I'm going to invite you to, if you have a pen or highlighter or anything, um, uh, so you can just mark, note to yourself or write a note on the paragraph or page that you'd like to go back and talk about anything that really stood out to you. So we'll continue with alphabetical order, but we'll put Reb Jess in there as well. So we'll do, um, I'll begin, and then we'll go Amina, Brian, Stephen, and Tom. That's the reading order. Me, Amina, Brian, Stephen, Tom. Got it? And then we'll do paragraph by paragraph. Okay, where are we going to be What's the top of the page start? Uh, it's it's the hero of the dream. It's in the chapter, The Healing of the Dream. It's chapter 27. The section is section 8, The Hero of the Dream. Chapter 27, section 8, The Hero of the Dream. The Hero of the Dream, okay, chapter... 27. 27, okay. Section 8. Okay, because mine was started 585 was a totally different one for me today. Uh-huh. Okay, let's see, you get back to mine is on page 543. Okay. Okay, are we ready? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. The hero of the dream. The body is the central figure in the dreaming of the world. There is no dream without it, nor does it exist without the dream in which it acts as if it were a person to be seen and be believed. It takes a central place in every dream, 
which tells the story of how it was made by other bodies, born into the world outside the body, lives a little while and dies, to be united in the dust with other bodies dying like itself. In the brief time allotted it to live, it seeks for other bodies as its friends and enemies. Its safety is its main concern. Its comfort is its guiding rule. It tries to look for pleasure and avoid the things that would be hurtful. Above all, it tries to teach itself its pains and joys are different and can be told apart. The dreaming of the world takes many forms because the body seeks in many ways to prove it is autonomous and real. It puts things on itself that it has bought with little it has bought with little metal discs or paper strips the world proclaims as valuable and real. It works to get them doing senseless things and tosses them away for senseless things it does not need and does not even want. It hires other bodies that they may protect it and collect more senseless things that it can call its own. It looks about for special bodies that can share its dreams. Sometimes it dreams it is conqueror of bodies weaker than itself, but in some phases of the dream, it is the slave of bodies that would hurt and torture it. The body's <clears throat> serial adventures from the time of birth to dying are the theme of every dream the world has ever had. The hero of this dream will never change, nor will its purpose. You are unmuted. Though, though the dream itself the dream takes many itself forms, takes many forms and seems to and show seems a great show variety of places. Variety I'm, getting a, I'm, getting a, I'm getting an echo. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Let me see. Is somebody on... Uh... That's odd. <laughs> okay, why don't we all just do the mute ourselves out technique until it's our time to share. All right, Brian, okay. continue. Continue. Though the dream itself takes many forms and seems to show a great variety of places and events wherein its hero finds itself, the dream has but one purpose, taught in many ways. This single lesson does it try to teach again and still again, and yet once more that it is cause and not effect, and you are its effect and cannot be its cause. Thus are you not the dreamer but the dream. And so you wander idly in and out of places and events that it contrives. That this is all the body does is true, for it is but a figure in a dream. But who reacts to figures in a dream unless he sees them as if they were real? The instant that he sees them as they, as they are, they have no more effects on him, because he understands that he gave, their, gave them their effects by causing them and making them seem real. How willing are you to escape the effects of all the dreams the world has ever had? Is it your wish to let no dream appear to be the cause of what it is you do? Then let us merely look upon the dream, the dream's beginning, for the part you see is but the second part, whose cause lies in the first. No one asleep and dreaming in the world remembers his attack upon himself. No one believes there really was a time when he knew nothing of a body 
and could never have conceived the world as real. He would have seen at once that these ideas are one illusion too ridiculous for anything but to be laughed away. How serious they appear now—they now appear to be. And no one can remember who, when they would have met with laughter and with disbelief. One can remember this if, what, if we but look directly at their cause, and we will see the, the grounds for laughter, not a cause for fear. Let us return the dream he gave away unto the dreamer, who perceives the dream is separate from himself and done to him. Into eternity, where all is one, there crept a tiny mad idea at which the Son of God remembered not to laugh. In his forgetting, did the thought become a serious idea, impossible of both accomplishment and real effects. Together we can laugh in both the way and understand that time cannot intrude upon eternity. It is a joke to think that time can come to circumvent eternity, which means there is no time. A timelessness in which is time made real, a part of God that can attack itself, a separate brother as an enemy, a mind within a body are all forms, all are forms of circularity whose ending starts at its beginning, ending at its cause. The world you see depicts exactly what you thought you did, except that now you think that what you did is being done to you. The guilt for which, the guilt for what you thought is being placed outside yourself and on a guilty world that dreams your dreams and thinks your thoughts instead of you. It brings it vengeance, not your own. It keeps you narrowly confined within a body which it punishes because of all the sinful things the body does within its dreams. You have no power to make the body stop its evil deeds because you did not make it and cannot control its actions, nor its purpose, nor its fate. The world that demonstrates an ancient truth, you will believe that others do to you exactly what you think you did to them. For once deluded into blaming them, you will not see the cause of what they do because you want the guilt to rest on them. How childish is the petulant device to keep your innocence by pushing guilt outside yourself but never letting go. It is not easy to perceive the jest when all around you do your eyes behold its heavy consequences, but without their trifling cause. Without the cause do its effects seem serious and sad indeed. Yet they but follow, and it is their cause that follows nothing and is but a jest. In gentle laughter does the Holy Spirit perceive the cause and looks not to effects. How else could he correct your error who have overlooked the cause entirely? He bids you bring each terrible effect to him that you may look together on its foolish cause and laugh with him a while. You judge effects, but he has judged their cause. And by his judgments are effects removed. Perhaps you come in tears, but hear him say, My brother, holy son of God, 
Behold your idle dream in which this could occur, and you will leave the holy instant with your laughter and your brothers joined with his. The secret of salvation is but this, that you are doing this unto yourself. No matter what the form of the attack, this is still true. Whoever takes the role of enemy and of attacker, is this the truth? Whatever seems to be the cause of any pain and suffering, you feel this is still true. For you cannot react to all figures in a dream you knew that you were dreaming. Let them be as hateful and as vicious as they may. They could have no effect on you unless you fail to recognize it is your dream. The single lesson learned will set you free from suffering, whatever form it takes. The Holy Spirit will repeat this one inclusive lesson of deliverance until it has been learned, regardless of the form of suffering that brings you pain. Whatever hurt you bring to him, whatever hurt you bring to him, he will make answer with this very simple truth. Where this one answer takes away the cause of every form of sorrow and pain, the form affects his answer not at all. For he would teach you but the single cause of all of them, no matter what their form, and you will understand that miracles reflect the simple statement: "I have done this. I have done this thing, and it is I." I have done this thing, and it is this I would undo. Bring then all forms of suffering to him who knows that everyone is like the rest. He sees no differences where none exist. Where none exist, and he will teach you how each one is caused. None has a different cause from all the rest, and all of them are easily undone by but a single lesson truly learned. Salvation is a secret you have kept but from yourself. The universe proclaims it so. Yet to its witnesses you pay no heed at all, for they attest the thing you do not want to know. They seem to keep it secret from you. Yet you need but learn you chose but not to listen not to see. How differently will you perceive the world when this is recognized? When you forgive the world your guilt, when you forgive the world your guilt, you will be free of it. Its innocence does not demand your guilt, nor does your guiltlessness rest on its sins. This is the obvious, a secret kept from no one but yourself. And it is this that has maintained you separate from the world and kept your brother separate from you. Now need you but to learn that both of you are innocent or guilty. Let me read that again. Now need you but to learn that both of you are innocent or guilty. The only thing that is impossible is that you be unlike each other, that they both be true. This is the only secret yet to learn, and it will be no secret you are healed. Give me a second. I'm writing a couple notes down here.
You know, um, okay, so what are your thoughts? <laughs> I think it has one of those, like, I think it's, like, the most. I did some echo. I don't know what that is. Did someone see I don't hear it on the other side. Does somebody have me on, like, a computer or a speaker or something? Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> and I'm hearing you. Let's decide. Let's put ourselves on mute unless we're talking. talking. Okay. Perfect. All right. So um, in paragraph six, which in my book is page 586, it's the bottom paragraph. Tom, I'm not sure where it is in your book, but it's just the paragraph six. It is one of the most famous lines of the course, and in a sense, it's the creation story. It's the story of creation, but not real creation. It's the story of the illusion. It's how the dream was came to be. Into eternity, where all is one, there crept a tiny, mad idea at which the Son of God remembered not to laugh. In his forgetting did the thought become a serious idea Impossible of both accomplishment and real effects. So the tiny mad idea would be was the idea of separation, which is impossible. But that's what we're experiencing. We're experiencing the answer to the question. what would separation from God be like? So, the hero of the dream simply talks about what our experience is. It's just our experience. And so, there's so much I want to say, but I actually would like you guys to talk about it. So, I'm going to just open up the circle, and if you would uh, like to share any uh, awarenesses that came up for you, anything that's out for you, any part you liked particular, you liked, uh, really liked, let's hear it. I really like the idea of consciousness before we have a physical body, like in the womb. We are, we're conscious and aware before we're conscious and aware that we have a body or that we are a body. And I think it alludes to that universal consciousness that is uh, brought down when we're in the body and then we're taught that the body and everything else that goes along with it. So that was one of the things that struck me, the bodiless consciousness. an ancient truth you will believe that others do to you exactly what you think they that you did to them but once but once deluded into blaming them you will not see the cause of what they do because you want the guilt to rest on them this is how we focus on keep that focus off of ourselves 
as the cause of our own uh, our own uh, thinking, and we place that blame on somebody else because it's easier to blame them out there than it is to take that responsibility for ourselves and our own our own thinking. And when uh, once we do this, then uh, once we can uh, realize that we are the thinker in our own life and we can are the, the cause of that thinking, then we can uh, once we can take that responsibility and uh, uh, know there is no blame, but the but taking that responsibility, then we can see that you know. It is not them out there that is doing it uh, to us, but we are doing it to ourselves. It mentions there, Tom, about um, but once deluded into blaming them, you will not see the cause of what they do because you want the guilt to rest on them. What guilt are they talking about? What is the original guilt that we are projecting onto others. That we are not worthy. That we're not worthy of being the son of God. Yes, I think that unworthiness is a byproduct of the original misperception we believe we did. And what is the original misperception, Tom? It's fear. But fear is also a byproduct of the original misperception. Anyone that uh, want to help, Tom? Separation. 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 I heard that clearly. Separation, separation. (laughs) Yeah, so it's the subconscious guilt that we carry because we believe we separated ourselves from God. And in order to do that, that means in the the subconscious aspect of our thinking, we believe that in a way we had to kill God. Uh In order to be separate and and what is the symbol what's the first symbol of separation in this dream and it says right what's what's the hero of the dream it is what and this isn't just for Tom anyone can answer so what's the hero of the dream the central figure of the dream is what the body the body the body. Yeah, so we think that in order to be this body, we had to kill God. And why it continues to go back to being, saying how laughable it is that the body doesn't exist. It's an illusion. Mm-hmm. And so think of all of the upset we experience in our lives because of what experiences our body is moving through. So now this is 
this is the holy instant, guys. When we when we glimpse into eternity, when we experience ourselves as one with God, and we're talking about forgiveness. Forgiveness. Why we're looking at this right now is because it's going to support our conversation on forgiveness. Is well, how do you? Amina, let's say, on talking about the type of forgiveness taught true forgiveness, how can understanding this section of the Course support us in our understanding of true forgiveness? Because our bodies and all of the separate bodies and this worldly experience isn't real. Yeah. So... I know when we say, like, it never really happened can seem a little vague or esoteric, but it's actually being very literal. It never happened. You know, Jesse, it's so interesting because I can answer your question. I know what the answer is, but I do not have this awareness. I mean, I definitely have moments of awareness of the oneness and all of that, but you know, particularly now, and I don't know if you heard the call that I had with Jennifer yesterday, but, you know, I just, I feel so trapped in this illusion. And I, you know, I know intellectually that it's not real, but I just, I feel it so strongly right now. Perfect. Great. And I'm totally judging myself for that. Mm-hmm. Good. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask that question also. How do we as practitioners, when we're talking to someone, talk about the unreality of what we think is real? We, we know from our meditation, we, when we merge in consciousness, we, we know the truth of it. And yet here we are in a body, talking to a body. And, and I think that there's a lot of resistance. Of course, that I even say, I think there's resistance creates the resistance and with the word eyes, all of that. Uh, but again, how do we as practitioners address it? And a real, as Amina was saying, how do, we, how do we share it when we ourselves are so locked and lost in the illusion? Who says that you have to share it? <laughs> our, our job as practitioners is to be truly helpful. And sometimes being truly helpful isn't necessarily sharing this information because ego analyzes where spirit accepts and allows. And that circles us back to acceptance. I think we work with where we are at and we work with our client or student with where they are at. And we continue to gently guide ourselves um, towards a deeper awareness of truth and demonstrate the principles along the way to teach. Now, to address Amina, you know, the self-inflicted judgment is another um, way that the ego keeps us right in the upset. 
so this is why we started this module, and we didn't actually have this conversation last Wednesday, guys, because we started late, but we were talking about acceptance. So, Amina, to support you in your situation, and it's not a how to get you out of it because you're not supposed to be out of it because you're in it. So honor that and accept it and just say, I am judging, you know, I accept that I'm judging myself for not being more enlightened, you know, for not being as enlightened as I'd like to be. And in that acceptance, I think the spark of, of humor, you know, the, the, the laughter that the Course talks about is how we'll laugh at it, begins to surface. And within that, that's the seed of peace. And so we accept where we are. And I really think that acceptance is a powerful, powerful, powerful tool and one that I'm not sure is taught enough because I wasn't taught that necessarily. I was taught to aspire to hold, you know, the high watch, the, you know, to have, um, you know, to ha- sort of know where I'd like to go. And I think that's an important element too, but there was sort of this part of like, they forgot to really talk about the freedom that's available with acceptance. And so when you don't talk about acceptance of where you are, what happens is you have an experience like Amina's going through. You're in deep judgment for not being more spiritually enlightened than you think you are. So you're judging yourself from the place where you think you should be, which completely takes you out of the present moment. And so in our acceptance of, I'm a, I feel like I'm a wreck right now. I am beating myself up. I feel crazy. I feel like I'm completely out of sorts. I feel like I am, you know, stuck in the illusion. I'm angry. I'm upset. I'm irritable. Da, 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 da. And accepting that, you're all, I, I really feel like that's the first step in awakening. Other than, I mean, I, I won't say the first step. One of the first steps in awakening. I think willingness is the first step. But um, here's the big, here's one of the big, a big challenge in Nina, and something I've really been contemplating is, can you accept it without trying to fix it? Because is that really acceptance? You know, can we, but, you know, let's turn to this reading, actually, that we, um, uh, that we just read. How does it say, and this is actually, um, we can talk, we can refer to testimony of light. Um, And Amina, I'm going to speak to you directly, so I'm going to invite you to unmute yourself so we can um, dialogue on this. Do you remember the section in Testimony of Light when Francis talks about the visitor they had that was only there for a short time because she pretty much ascended to another playing very quickly. She was the woman who came with the young African child. I think she was a missionary in the earth plane. And um, she wasn't very what the world would necessarily deem as intelligent. Right. Yeah, I remember that section. Yeah. 
And but what is it that she did? What was the practice that she did that supported her in being so uh, e- e- spiritually awake on the earth plane? Now that I don't remember, so I'm going to guess it's either acceptance or willingness or just being loving. <laughs> All of those. <laughs> but, <laughs> but she handed everything over. She didn't do anything without handing it over to her inner guide. Mm-hmm. So she gave every challenge, every upset, she handed it all over to God, to her inner, her inner guide. So this mm-hmm. also says, give it to the Holy Spirit. In gentle laughter, does the Holy Spirit perceive the cause and looks not to effects. How else could he correct your error who have overlooked the cause entirely? He bids you bring each terrible effect to him that you may look together on its foolish cause and laugh with him a while. You judge effects, but he has judged their cause. And by his judgment are effects removed. Perhaps you come in tears, but hear him say, My sister Amina, holy daughter of God, behold your idle dream in which this has occurred. And you will leave the holy instant with your laughter and your and your brothers joined with his. So, don't we just hate that the solution is so simple? Because yes. does, doesn't it feel complicated and layered and heavy and like lifetimes of struggle and pain that needs to be undone and so many mistakes and so many errors that we're making each day, and yet. What's the invitation here? Hand it over and surrender. Yes, that's it. Let it go. Yes, let it go. Hand it over. Give it to us. So why can't I do that? Because you find value in holding on to it in some, some way. And that's for you to, you know, I think that's for you to discover. And I would suggest, you know, um, you have enough experience now knowing how painful it can be to judge whatever it is that you discover, but just be an acceptance of, listen, there's something in me that finds value in feeling upset and overwhelmed or like I'm falling up short. So I accept that. All right. I forgive myself. That's forgiveness is acceptance. I accept that there's a part of me that has, finds value and upset. Okay, I know it. I get it. Today, I feel really upset and I'm beating myself up for not being able to transcend the appearance of my day-to-day life. Okay, I accept it. And I accept that today I feel bloated. And I accept that I'm upset for my, at myself for eating too much ice cream yesterday. I accept that. I accept that I'm in total body consciousness. I accept that, you know, whatever it is. And now I hand it to you, Holy Spirit. You know what? I hand over my relationship to my body with you, Holy Spirit. I hand over my job to you, Holy Spirit. I hand over that the receptionist of the president of the organization that gives me the stink eye. I hand her over to you and my the effects I feel of her over to you. I hand over the fact that I don't like my car over to you and that I wish I could afford more clothes over to you, I hand all over. So just a constant process of handing over anything that feels like it compromises your peace of mind. And 
that's a real practice. So I'm going to open up the group and ask, how many people hand over their day and every decision and every situation and every challenge over to Holy Spirit or your, your spiritual consciousness? And I'm going to talk a little bit more about Holy Spirit in a moment, but how many people have an active practice of surrender and handing it over? And let's just go down the line. Alphabetical order. Amina, you begin. 30 seconds so, to a minute of sharing about that. <laughs> okay. So I do hand over my day in the morning, I would say 95% of the time, 99 at some point. It might not be as soon as I wake up. And I I do make an effort. I do try to be conscious about handing over situations that are upsetting, but I know I could do better with that. And I'm definitely not a person who asks spirit about every single thing I do. Um, but I, so I mean, that's probably a different question. But I do, I do make an effort to hand things over, but I could do better. Yeah, and I hear you. I'm, I'm the same. I'm totally there with you. I could definitely... I, I would love to be able to pause and hand everything over to the Holy Spirit because that's what's being asked of us. It really is. And you think, yeah, okay, well, the big things, but not the little things, not like what should I buy at the grocery store or, you know, what gas station should I go to? But it's really asking you, yeah, that. Perhaps we can create like uh, an ex- a day where we do a divine experiment and we all commit like as much as possible in one day to hand everything over to the Holy Spirit just to see what happens. Brian, how about you? Actually, before Brian goes, can I yeah. actually ask a question? So what you're saying here is kind of part of my thing that I said wasn't really what you were asking. So you're asking if we turn over every upset as it occurs but are you also asking if we hand over every decision Yeah. before we do it? Yeah. I have huge resistance to that. I remember when you brought that up in a class recently, and I was it just really was like, what? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's the resistance? Resist, 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 why? <laughs> See, now we're in spirit. We're laughing at it. <laughs> What, what's the reason? I don't know why I have so much. I mean, I don't, I guess I don't know. We we could talk about this for two hours. Yeah, we could totally. Well, because I I'll say for me, like it feels ridiculous to think that I have to hand over all my I make so many decisions in a day. Like really, like do I need to hand over like what outfit do I wear today? What what? How do I do my hair today? What toothpaste should I buy? You know. Yeah, and and then what if we don't get an answer, or like it doesn't come fast enough? <laughs> We're we gotta go. <laughs> well, that's the thing is, can't God speak through? Can't Holy Spirit speak through your preferences and your taste and your decision? Like, I think that we we are expecting a specific voice or timber or sound to resonate in us for that guidance when. I think we're learning how to hear the guidance of the Holy Spirit, but really hear the guidance of the Holy Spirit, and, and perhaps it sounds like us. 
Yeah. Well, and, I mean, I've had experiences recently where I'm getting dressed and I put something on that I used to love, and I look at it and I say, I hate this, and I'm never wearing this again. Mm-hmm. And it's like, why suddenly I don't like it? You know? It's like, mm-hmm. it doesn't suit me anymore. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Well, you know, it's interesting. I mean, this is kind of an example. Amina has, I don't know what she's doing differently, but she there's something about the clothes you're wearing, which are, it's highlighting an, an essence of who you are, which is just sort of an interesting observation of how, you know, the Holy Spirit can guide us in a certain way because perhaps it's time for Amina to be received in a certain way and a way to support her within the illusion in which is where she's playing right now is through the color choices or whatever, and maybe that's, you know, we brush that aside and say, well, that's not really part of it, but why can it not be? You know, this is where we're playing. What if everything that we do can support us in some way? And we each have a unique, you know, our own curriculum, so who's to say? And I think, too, like, you know, since we're moving to Brian, you know, being playful within it just makes it more fun more joyful, which is a complete attribute and aspect of the divine. So, and like you said, I mean, we could talk for days on this, but let's keep the conversation going. Brian, would you like to uh, share? Sure. Um, <clears throat> I want to be very careful, full of care about the languaging because um, I don't want to whenever I start a sentence that I, I don't want to, I automatically stop. And I laugh. <laughs> you get it? You get it, everybody? Like, as soon as I'm saying I don't want to do something, that to me is an obvious red flag. So one of the things that's happening is I'm quieting down. And a part of quieting down comes from meditating and it comes from doing mantra. I do ROM, ROM, ROM a lot. So it's not like I'm consciously going to pick or ask for guidance what shirt I'm going to pick. But I'm doing Ram Mantra, and I'm aware that I'm centered in spirit. And so it really doesn't matter, and I always wear what's appropriate. Unless I'm wearing white socks with black pants and my mom goes nuts. <laughs> um, so there's a lightening up. Oh, in, in Zen, we, we, we look at the, the big karmic joke, and we talk about the karmic joke a lot. The karmic joke of us thinking that we're separate from God. The karmic joke that we're trying to get enlightened when we are the very essence of enlightenment. So we keep coming back to this karmic joke. And then me being me, I I break out into laughter quite a bit also. So yes, I can do more, absolutely. And yes, there's no I to do more. It's a process of unfolding. And it's the grace of God that's unfolding through me, through us, through the entire process entire world so I'm not quite as concerned about doing the right thing until I beat myself up for eating the extra ice cream (laughs) so what do you think about that yeah you know it's all it's interesting like it challenges every belief system that we've been offered in this life experience. Because 
we've been told how important it is to take care of the body. But this is saying the body is the central character in the dream. It doesn't exist. So I don't think the invitation is do whatever you want, but change how you relate with it, how you relate with all of it. I love how it talks to money, about money of saying metal discs and pieces of paper that you have decided it has value. It's crazy thinking, if you really think about it. You know, if money has no real value, except within this illusion, and it's only what we've made it mean, look at what we've allowed it to do to us. So, think about, you know, if it is a dream, and this is the, and and we're discussing this again to support us in having a deeper awareness about true forgiveness, that, um, you know, the job, the the situations at the job, the all of it, none of it, none of it, it's all what we ascribe to it. You know, if we were able to, I mean, the, what the ego does for us is it keeps us in operating in on the planet because without ego at all, the relinquishment of ego, that's why so many gurus that, uh, that you know, experience enlightenment just place their bodies aside because there's no need for it anymore. And those that have stayed in their body, oftentimes they have handlers because they're, so, they're not identified with the body. So they need to be fed and, and taken to the bathroom and, and guided so they don't, you know, walk into traffic and things like that because they're just not identified with the body. They're spirit. So what the ego belief system does, thought system does, is it keeps us protected in the illusion and yet we've made it the most important thing, the most valuable thing in existence. This is mysticism, y'all. This is what we're talking about, mysticism. Um, This is where the slight differences between science of mind and mysticism begin to, and it's not really differences, but it's just the approach because it's an interesting thing. There's a, some students of Course in Miracles would say that, you know, God has nothing to do with the illusion for it's a dream. You know, it's all a dream. It's just, a, it's, an, it's, a, it's like a, a hallucination, an answer to a question. And science of mind, Ernest Holmes would say, God is all of it. God is all of it. And so in a sense, yes, God is all of it because it's a dream within God. And yet, this is all the effects of a cause, the cause being separation, which never really occurred. Now, all this information could take us into a spiral of analyzing. And this is where we come back to, um, you know, the invitation to work on a need-to-know basis. These are things to contemplate, but not, uh, not to get stuck on. These are things to be aware of, yet not to judge yourself on. We are in the process of uh, unlearning. We're in the process of awakening to our true self, but it's a process. 
And we should honor where we are in the process and allow ourselves to experience as much joy, allow as much joy and abundance and, and fulfillment as available in the process where we are. So the gentle acceptance of, oh, there's anger. Oh, there's the fear. Oh, there's the body judging. Oh, there's the uh, victim stuff coming up. And accepting that, we just accept that we're still in process and it's wonderful. And most of the most, and most of the uh, most revered teachers on the planet are still in process. How do we know? Because they're still here. So honor that. Honor the enlightenment within you and trust that what, you know, needs to be known will be made known. Stephen, how about you? How are you with turning anything's, anything's over? Um, I think I'm a lot uh, like Amina of where it's easier for me now to hand over what I would label the bigger things. Do you know what I mean? Um but like the like sort of day-to-day stuff, not so much. Um, and it's interesting because what you were just saying earlier um, about like, you know, what outfit to wear or whatever. I was reading in a, uh, I think an Eric Schiffman yoga book of where he would say that he would be at the grocery store and would not pick out an apple before saying, spirit, what apple would you have me choose? And at the time I remember reading it thinking, that's nuts. But I was like, wow, what would that be like? And I I do think that I pause more now, like before I answer, you know, a request or, or make a decision. But yeah, I definitely could hand over a lot more. Um, but, and also just all this body talk has kind of made me think about like, I don't know, maybe it was sometime last year, I just kind of decided that I was tired of picking out clothes to wear. And I pretty much wear some variation of the same thing every single day now to work. Jeans, T-shirts, and a do- and Doc Martin boots. Like, it's, it's become like, because I was just like, I can't be bothered <laughs> with, like, does this shirt look cute with these pants? Does this shirt make me look fat? Because I, I just don't care anymore. It's like, okay, I'm just going to do enough to cover legally what I have to and just go on about my day. And, like, five years ago, I would have obsessed over... Is this the right shirt? Like, are these the right pair of pants? And now it's just like, okay, I, I, I can't process that in my brain anymore. Yeah. yeah. I think that... I think that so, Stephen, you, you are the... You are the echo man. You are the echo man. <laughs> so... Um, oh. Which just means, Stephen, you have to mute your phone. Uh, you oh, am I the Echo Man? Yeah. Oh. It's, it's yeah. your phone that's it's the, echo. the Echo. Oh, weird. Yeah. So, when I'm talking, I'm go ahead talking, and mute me. I'll mute yourself out, and then when you're going to answer, you unmute yourself. Cool? Cool. All right. All right. Great. All right. So, I think that my suggestion would be is to, uh, and this is a big one for a lot of us, is to accept what comes up for you, accept the decision that was made, and trust that it was the right decision instead of wondering, did I make the right decision? I must have made the wrong decision. Because that is definitely a pattern I'm familiar with of always questioning the decisions I made. And yet, like what Byron Katie would teach us is, 
You made the right decision. How do you know? Because it was the decision you made. So whatever is unfolding now, and we can trust, is for your greatest good. So I would just begin to strengthen that muscle of handing it over and trusting that what came up for you, what you just decided to do, was the right decision. And this is important as we are on the brink of beginning spiritual counseling because a major question, a major uh, challenge that a lot of people will bring to you is thinking that they're not sure if they're going to make the right decision. And yet, how could we possibly make the wrong decision? However, we can support ourselves in um, what I imagine speeding up the process of (laughs) enlightenment by handing it over, handing it over. We begin to lean into the flow and we hand it over to the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is like the translator. He's the guide. He is the voice of God within the illusion. It's the bridge that connects us to God. That's what the Course in Miracles describes the Holy Spirit as. It's the bridge, the Holy Spirit is the bridge to God. It is that within us that knows the truth that is bringing us home, that is supporting us. So it behooves us to surrender everything to Holy Spirit so that he can translate for us, can guide us. He's taking us home. The Holy Spirit is taking us home. So we call upon the Holy Spirit to help us translate the illusion. So we remember that it is but that, a dream, a case of mistaken identity. So we can continue to hand it over, stay aligned with love, stay connected to love, to joy, to freedom, to all of that. And when we feel challenged, hand it over to Holy Spirit. And, and then begin the practice of handing everything over to Holy Spirit. Everything goes to Holy Spirit. Because when we don't, like we said before, when we don't, by default, it goes to ego. And ego is going to what? It's going to choose in favor of separation, in your specialness, in you needing to feel unique, in you needing to feel like you're succeeding, in you needing to feel like you're standing out, in you needing to feel like you're being victimized, in you needing to feel like you're coming up short, in you needing to feel whatever it is. Does that make sense? Stephen? Oh, yes. Sorry. Okay. Muted. Okay. Yeah, so the invitation for you to consider, Stephen, is to release the habit of questioning whether or not you made the right decision and begin to practice trusting that you're always exactly in the right space, in the right time, in the right shirt. <laughs> yeah, I was uh, having that conversation with someone the other day. I said, you know, even the things that I thought at the time were mistakes, I was totally taken care of. Of course. Of course. Well, that's the other thing is we think we made the wrong decision if something that doesn't feel good unfolds, and yet that can be the one thing that is placed in our experience to support us in awakening. Yep. And releasing our judgments and opinions. And so it's not that we things that don't seem challenging don't happen. It's just our thought about it. 
That's what Holy Spirit's going to support us in doing is shifting our perception of whatever is unfolding in front of us. So we, then we can go through what seems to be life's biggest tragedies in joy and peace. So let's go to Tom. Tom, how about you? How, um, how are you at turning it over, handing it over? Well, lately I find I just uh, go through and I just say, I let it go. I just I release it. I just let it go. And I just keep, a lot of times I'll just keep repeating that I let it go over and over for a, a while. And, um, like, uh, kind of when it, like, when it comes to clothing, I just wear whatever I feel like wearing. And, uh... Uh, I try to make myself look good, you know, uh, for different times, you know, when I need to. But other than that, you know, I just let it go. If I uh, go like today, I went uh, in uh, 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 one of those uh, uh, sweatshirts that I wear, the pullover, the one with the hood. And uh, I just wore that today, even though it was like 80 nine degrees or so outside, but I was, uh, I was comfortable, and I was dressing more for later on when it does get cool, but anyway, make, uh, that's neither here nor there, but anyway, what I'm saying is I just uh, do with what I feel lately, and, you know, I don't even think too much uh, about uh, whether it's right or wrong. If it feels good to me, I go with it. And, um, uh, but l- lately, like I said, is I've just been re- releasing so much things, and I just said, I let it go. I just let it go. You know, I let go. I let God, you know. And I just do that uh, over and over for a while, especially when it comes to things that I might be worried about, and I just let it go and let God, and I just let it whatever transpires will transpire and uh sometimes that's uh it's getting a lot easier as i do it it didn't start out that way and in fact once i started doing it like that so many different things came up like uh, perceived uh, obstacles and stuff in my way and uh but as i kept doing it you know all that seemed like they disappeared Beautiful, yeah. I think perfect example of the ease that we can experience when we hand it over, let it go, hand it over, whatever it is that, however you want to call it, you want to, whatever you want to say it, however you want to say it, it's the same. We just hand it over to that which knows, mm-hmm. which we can call the Holy Spirit here, God's great translator, the bridge to the divine. Mm-hmm. I love this stuff. Beautiful share, Tom. Thank you and. Um, I definitely feel like it is time for a little break. So let's take uh, five minutes, and then we're going to go back to the article that we uh, were reviewing in class on true forgiveness. What is forgiveness? And gentlemen, I know we've done, uh, we got through three uh, three of the paragraphs last week, but we're going to review the third one again because Amina and Brian did not. We only got through two in class this Saturday. So we'll finish up that article. Um, and then starting next week, we're going to go more into 
the goldsmith, and you talked about the reading. I know I signed a chapter, but uh, we're not going to get to it tonight because we did the hero of the dream reading instead. So, my love, um, five minutes. Stephen, please hang up and call back in. I'll see you back at 745. Will do. All right, rock and roll. Bye, guys.
Okay, we are back. Am I so still echoing? Nope. Oh. Nope, sound dead. <laughs> Sorry to shame you so mercilessly, <laughs> whatever it's called. Okay, so let's dive right into it because we have some reading to do. So quick review. Um, paragraph one on the commentary. We should have our commentary now on what is forgiveness by Alan Watson. This is what we're going to be uh, reviewing and talking about. Um, forgiveness recognizes what you thought your brother did to you has not occurred. It does not pardon sins and make them real. It sees there was no sin. And in that view are all your sins forgiven. What is sin except a false idea about God, about God's Son? Forgiveness merely sees its falsity and therefore lets it go. But then it's free to take its place is now the will of God. Okay, so do you see how this ties into the reading that we just did in the Course in Miracles? Yes. Really contemplate that. Think about that from the perspective of, now listen, we, this again is some, uh, I don't want to say, I don't want to dismiss it as the thing that's so esoteric, take what you can, but it's just not necessarily in the realm in which we are all operating at currently in this, in this point of our experience, in this part of this review process. So, like, kind of like what Brian was saying is like, well, how do we explain to people that it's all an illusion, that we're all one, it's not really happening? Again, we might not explain that. I think that radical forgiveness is um, a wonderful technique that eases people into the conversation of oneness, which this really is. It's just a conversation of oneness in different facets, you know, different approaches. So forgiveness recognizes what you thought your brother did to you has not occurred. What does that mean? I mean, I, I mean, in the very highest sense of it, you know, in a theo- theoretical, course in miracle sense, what you thought your brother did to you has not occurred. Why is that? Because we're in illusion and there's no sin. There's nothing that can even happen. Exactly. So it, doesn't, it does not pardon sins and make them real. If we say that there is, there's a mistake to be forgiven then it it proves there was a mistake and that makes it real. Exactly. Like, you know. So oftentimes it makes sense to say that, I mean, if we wanted to support ourselves in understanding this idea, we could say what that body did to that body is why I'm upset. So if we can start to sort of make it impersonal, then we kind of... We can see our role in it. We can see what it's talking about. That body did this to that body, and that makes me upset. But now I know the body is but a central character in a dream. It hasn't actually happened. So if it hasn't actually happened, then what that body did to that body is irrelevant. It never actually even happened. It's just a dream. It's like a fantasy. So that's like having going to sleep at night. I mean, and I can meet her with sleep at night. I had a dream that I came over and slapped her in her face. And then the next, you know, for the, the next month afterwards, she's been 
angry at me and terrified of me every time I was around her because of the violence that I inflicted upon her. So if you were to be like, Amina, yo, what's wrong? And she's like, well, you know, I had a dream that Jesse slapped me in my face and he needs to pay for that. You'd probably say, Amina, that's crazy. And that's what um, the course is kind of suggesting is, yeah, it is. It is crazy. (laughs) You're literally crazy. Make sense? Give me one amen or one uh uh-huh. Okay, there we go. (laughs) Yes. All right. Paragraph two. An unforgiving thought is one which makes a judgment that will not raise to doubt, although it is not true. The mind is closed and will not be released. The thought protects projection, tightening its chain so that distortions are more veiled and more obscure, less easily accessible to doubt and further kept from reason. What can come between a fixed projection and the aim that it has chosen as its wanted goal? So I love this part because it's pretty much that explanation of you want to be right or you want to be happy. So so going back to the example that we use for Amina, I'm sorry, guys, my sweet dog is just staring at me and wants to come up onto the bed in which I am sitting. And his little hind legs are working as good as they used to, so he can't make the jump. So I'm helping him up. Jesse, at the exact same moment, my dog, uh, Kopi, is whining and wants to jump up uh, on my lap, so I'm encouraging him to jump up onto the seat beside me. (laughs) (laughs) I just just looked down, and they were both sitting next to each other, looking up at me like they were really into the teaching. And invited them to participate. So going back to the Nina example, let's say that she just is so angry at me for slapping her and she refuses to let go of the belief that she's right in the situation. I mean, she's so tight on that. She's like, Jesse is violent against women. He uh, uses physical violence as a way to express his anger and hatred probably racist and I'm holding on to that and even if people were like honey you had a dream and she's like no I'm not I am not letting it go well who's and and let's say she's who who's gonna who's suffering in that scenario Me. Brian, you know, yeah I mean I mean it's suffering in that scenario you suffer when you get my wrath. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I, I suffer from the confusion of what? Um, but so now take that scenario and apply it to a real-life situation in which you are holding a resentment towards somebody. Because you, because they did something that you did not like. But if we are not the body, then you can say that body did that, this thing to that body, and now that body hates that body. Not only is it confusing and weird, it's exhausting. So this is the what's unfolding. And so we practice acceptance again. Because if we're not totally there, then we're not totally there yet. Great. Good. Accept that. 
We don't have to judge ourselves for not being there yet. We'll get there. And in the meantime, we, get, we can have a peaceful ride. My teacher, Reverend Roxy, who's going to come down and do a workshop and inspire, she'd like to do that. She is so masterful at this, at this idea of like just accepting that she had a moment, accepting that there's a relationship that feels challenging, and just accepting where she was. And as soon as she's in acceptance, it's like love just pours through. I've heard so many of her stories of like how like major things seem like major upsets in her life. As soon as she just accepted that she was upset or angry or not whatever, then it was like freedom for her. And she really inspired me. That's a perfect example. And through her demonstration, she taught me the power and acceptance. She's like, okay, it's cool. I don't like that guy. I really don't like that guy. And she goes, and the next day, you know, of course, I'm sitting next to him and we're having a good old time. She just accepted she didn't like somebody. Powerful, man. Doesn't mean she doesn't know the truth about him. All right, paragraph three. We'll do the same reading order. Me, Amina, Brian, Stephen, and Tom. So let's get to paragraph three in the commentary. And uh, Stephen and Tom, this will be reviewed for you. Amina and Brian will be, um, this will be reviewed for you and new to, to Amina and Brian. So feel free to take notes, highlight, do what needs to be done. An unforgiving thought does many things. In frenetic action, it pursues its goal, twisting and overturning what it sees as interfering with its chosen path. Distortion is its purpose and the means by which it would accomplish it as well. It sets about its furious attempt to smash reality without concern for anything that would appear to pose a contradiction to its point of view. In contrast, to the stillness today's lesson speaks of, an unforgiving thought is frantically active. It has to be, it must be frantic because it flies in the face of truth and attempts to make real an illusion. Frenetic activity is often the sign of unrecognized unforgiveness. Things that seem to oppose what we want to be the truth keep popping up, like gophers, in the silly kids game of bang the gopher. And we have to keep bashing them down to maintain our version of reality. Stilling our mind and becoming quiet in and of itself is often enough to begin dissolving our unforgiveness. Unforgiveness cannot exist in quiet. You cannot be peaceful and unforgiving at the same time. Peace to my mind, let all my thoughts be still. One thing that can foster this peace and stillness is focusing on the very exchange of love that is the center of today's lesson. The power of our affection for God and his for us can quell the stormy thoughts and bring, even if only briefly, a moment of quiet peace in which unforgiveness simply dissipates. Stephen, you're on mute. Stephen? Has 
Stephen falling off the call. I'm back. <laughs> I don't know what All happened right. there. Okay. Uh, is it up to me now? Yes. Okay. <clears throat> we do not realize how much our unforgiving thoughts distort the truth. Unforgiving thoughts twist our perception of things which are not in accord with how unforgiveness wants to see things. They overlook any evidence for love and find evidence of guilt. In the text section, the obstacles to peace, in the subsection on the attraction of guilt. Our unforgiving thoughts are compared to scavenging messengers, harshly ordered to seek out guilt and cherish every scrap of evil and of sin that they can find, losing none of them on pain of death and laying them respectfully before their Lord and Master. That is, we find what we are looking for, and the ego is looking for guilt. But distortion is not only the method used by the ego. It's not the only method used by the ego. Distortion is also the ego's purpose. Thus, the purpose of unforgiveness is to distort reality. Unforgiveness furiously aims to smash reality without concern for anything that would appear to pose a contradiction to its point of view. Reality is the hated enemy, the intolerable presence, because our reality is still the Son of God, never in the slightest slightest separated from Him. Reality exposes the ego as a lie and cannot be tolerated. So the way our minds work when dominated by unforgiving thoughts, it is designed from the, very, from the beginning to distort reality beyond all recognition. In contrast to this, the Course asks us to dream of our brother's kindness instead of his mistakes and to not brush aside his many gifts just because he is imperfect. It asks us to look for love instead of looking for guilt and rather than finding fault to try finding love instead. To begin with, we simply start to question the way we see things and awareness that our thought processes and our methods of making judgment have been severely impaired and simply not reliable. It isn't that we should not judge, it's that we cannot judge. We are operating at diminished capacity. We need a healthy mind to judge on our behalf. And that mind is the Holy Spirit. Oh, so good. I love how it just breaks down the job of unforgiving thoughts. Like, it doesn't hold any punches. It just straight up puts out there, our unforgiving thoughts are compared to scavenging messengers, harshly ordered to seek out guilt and cherish every scrap of evil and of sin that they can find, losing none of them on pain of death and laying them respectfully before their Lord and Master. I mean, that, that is, we've, uh, you know, uh, that's what we're looking for. And the ego is looking for guilt. Distortion is also the ego's purpose. Wow. So it's saying that, you know, pretty much un, an unforgiving thought is one insane. It's insanity because you are holding tight. You are looking for evidence of guilt, which cannot, which is made up in our mind. We're looking for guilt of evil and sin, which is not actually a thing. And we've got, we're, we're doing our best to find, you know, the depths of evil to place it at the feet of our distorted belief system. 
That's an unforgiving thought. So let's talk a little bit about this. How is that possible? Why is an unforgiving thought, why does the, this um, commentary, why does the course compare an unforgiving thought to, you know, a, I just love that word, um, scavenging messenger is harshly ordered to seek out guilt and cherish every scrap of evil and sin that they can find. Because it's always trying to justify its um, its stance. Yes. And if it's, it's joy. Still, mm-hmm. Go. I was say, if it's still, you might actually hear the truth, and then, uh-oh, then you can't have that unforgiving thought anymore. Yeah, so that counts as the unforgiving thought. They're frantic. They're always in motion. They're looking for something. They're looking for a shred of evidence to prove them right. Is peace available when you're entertaining, when you're in that sort of pursuit? Not at all. No. In fact, the majority of the kind of thoughts of unforgiveness are are just judgmental because of the idea of separation. We're projecting everything that, that... we don't want to see separate, separating it out from ourself, projecting it onto another, and none of it is real. None of and it is real. <laughs> so anytime I'm, I'm in a frantic or forensic thought, uh, I know that it's just silly. Because the peaceful thought, the thought of love, is never frantic. Frantic, whatever the word is. <laughs> and it's so easy to get caught in that idea of separation. Well, even to say it's easy makes it easy. Again, careful of my language. Holy Spirit, don't need this. Let it go. Oh, my man. I love here, like... This is supporting us. It's meeting us where we're at. Because the last paragraph of this commentary says, in contrast to this, the Course asks us to dream of our brother's kindness instead of his mistakes. To dream of our brother's kindness. Dream of his kindness. Because it's still, we're still identifying our brother as a what? Body. The cause of our own suffering? The body, as a body. So they're saying, like, you know, create what they call a happy dream. Support ourselves in feeling peaceful as we awaken to our oneness with God. Look for his good qualities. Why? Because that's for us. Look for his good qualities because it helps us be peaceful. So we can do what we're here to do. I had an example of that just a couple of days ago. I was meditating and thinking of a past relationship, a friend who had hurt me. It, the thoughts bubbled up, but I looked at it from a new perspective. I looked at it from a place of not of him being guilty, of not having done anything to me. And then it was just a much kinder thought. It was just a blessing. And, you know, he made the best possible decisions that he could at the time. 
and uh, just let it go. And so more and more as things percolate up, I can just look at them with a little bit more kindness, a little bit more dispassion, a little bit more love, and just let them go. Yeah, again, acceptance. Today I'm not quite ready to let my judgment go. I still feel feel triggered a little bit, and I accept that. But I'm willing to focus on my brother's kindness. I'm willing to do what's necessary to support me in being peaceful now. I'm willing. And that, I think that's that what just, Tom was saying. I'm yeah, saying that exactly. also, just letting it go, letting it go. Exactly, exactly. And it just supports us in getting closer. So we're not, you know, to, to circle back around to Amina's uh, share earlier, we're not beating ourselves up for not seeing the light and innocence in our brothers become willing to see the kindness in them. We're willing to see the innocence in them. And we acknowledge that we're not there yet, but we're on the way. And this is just, this is the path. This is the path to awakening. So let's continue on to paragraph four. I believe I was the last person to read. So Amina, if you'd like to pick up, go for it. Forgiveness, on the other hand, is still and quietly does nothing. It offends no aspect of reality, nor seeks to twist it, twist it to appearances it likes. It merely looks and waits and judges not. He who would not forgive must judge, for he must justify his failure to forgive. But he who would forgive himself must learn to welcome truth exactly as it is. Forgiveness, on the other hand, is still and quietly does nothing. If we can understand these first few sentences, we will have a clear grasp of what forgiveness really is. The words, on the other hand, refer to the preceding two paragraphs which described an unforgiving thought, especially in 3.1, and unforgiving thought does many things. Forgiveness, on the other hand, does nothing. <laughs> oh, I like that. Unforgiveness is highly active, anxiously trying to make things fit into its picture of reality. Forgiveness does nothing. It just exists. It does not rush to interpret or to attempt to understand. It lets things be as they are. Notice once again the heavy emphasis on stillness and quiet. The practice of the holy instant instant as the practice of forgiveness, is practice at being still, being quiet, doing nothing. Our usual state of mind is the product of the ego's training, habitually active, constantly working. We need practice at being still and doing nothing. It takes a lot of practice to break the habit of frantic activity and form a new habit of being still and quiet. One trick of the ego I notice frequently is that it will try to make me guilty about being still and quiet. When I try to take 10 minutes to sit in stillness, my ego floods my mind with thoughts of what I ought to be doing instead. The mental state in which forgiveness... I'm laughing at that because it's so true. The mental state in which forgiveness occurs is one in which we simply allow all of reality to be as it is without judging 
anything. I think this is exactly what we've been talking about, about acceptance right here. If it, uh, it offends no aspect of reality nor seeks to twist it to appearances it likes. The appearance my ego usually likes is some form of I am right and they are wrong or I am good and they are bad or simply I am better than he, she is. Even more simply, I am not like him or her. All of these thoughts share one theme. I am different from others and therefore separate from them. Any such thought is twisting reality because the reality is that we are the same. We are equal. We are one. Forgiveness stills such thoughts and abandons all efforts to match reality into a more desirable shape. It merely looks and waits and judges not. It does does not deny what it sees, but it puts no interpretation on it. It waits to be told the meaning by the Holy Spirit. My mate is having an affair. Forgiveness looks and waits and judges not. My child is sick. Forgiveness looks and waits and judges not. My boss just fired me. Forgiveness looks and waits and judges not. We are so quick to think we know what things mean, and we are wrong. We do not know. We leap to an understanding based on separation, and such understandings understand nothing. <laughs> I'm just laughing that that's your paragraph. I mean, okay. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> hmm, timing. The most salutary thing we can do when any such upsetting event occurs in our lives is nothing. Simply to let our minds become still and quiet and to open ourselves to the healing light of the Holy Spirit. To seek a holy instant. Let this become the ingrained habit of our lives and we will see the world in an entirely different way and love will flow through us to bring healing instead of hurt to every situation. In the last two sentences of this paragraph, notice that a contrast is made between judging and welcoming the truth exactly as it is. The opposite of judgment is the truth. Judgment, then, must always be a distortion of the truth. This section has already pointed out that unforgiveness has distortion as its purpose. If I do not want to forgive, I must distort the truth. I must judge. Judgment here clearly carries the meaning of condemnation of seeing sin, of making something wrong. Forgiveness does not do that. Forgiveness makes right instead of wrong, because right is the truth about all of us. None of us is guilty. That is the truth. God does not condemn us. If if I do, so I am distorting the truth. Judgment is always a distortion of the truth of our innocence before God. When I judge another, I do so because I am trying to justify my unwillingness to forgive. I have gotten very good at it. I always seem to find some reason that justifies my unforgiveness. But what I do not realize is that every such judgment twists the truth, hides it, obscures it. It makes real something that is not real. Furthermore, in obscuring the truth about my brother or sister, I am hiding the truth about myself. I am am 
substantiating the basis of my own self-condemnation. That is why the last sentence of the paragraph switches from my unforgiveness of, uh, of another to the forgiveness of myself. He who would forgive himself. If I want to learn to forgive myself, I must abandon my judging of others. If their sin is real, so is mine. Instead, I must learn to welcome truth exactly as it is. Only if I welcome the truth about my brother or sister can I see it for myself. We stand or fall together. In him, you will find yourself or lose yourself. To a mind habituated to seeing itself as a separate ego, abandoning all judgment is frightening. It feels like the rug is being swept out from under our feet. We don't know where to stand. How can we live in the world without it? We literally do not know how. Judgment is how we have ordered our lives. Without it, we fear chaos. The Course assures us this will not happen. You are afraid You are afraid of this because you believe that without the ego, all would be chaos. Yet I assure you that without the ego, all would be love. When we let go of judgment, when we are willing to welcome the truth exactly as it is, love rushes in to fill the vacuum left by the absence of judgment. It has been there all along, but we have blocked it. We don't know how this happens, but it happens because love is the reality. Love is the truth we are welcoming. Love will show us exactly what to do when our judgment is gone. Well, there you have it. (laughs) How challenging is it for you on a scale, say on a scale of one to ten, uh, when something happens that you do not like or you think shouldn't be happening, how how is your response to it? Like, uh, number one being, I'm really reactive. Number ten being, like, I totally just accept that everything is flowing perfectly, always at all times. When something unfolds in front of you that you don't like, what is your response? or what, how, how do you react on a scale of 1 to 10? 1 being the worst, 10 being like um, totally just go with the blow and lighten. Amina? Well, it definitely depends on the situation, but I would say um, in 1 is the worst and 10 is the best? Yeah. I I think I would put myself in a five just because, like, I, I dip back and forth. Like, there's a lot of times where I'm like, okay. And then there's times that I, like, get really triggered and pissed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. Brian? I'd probably say 70% of the time I'm good, 30% of the time. I get reacted, so I guess I'm a seven. Okay. Steven? Um, I think I'm about a five or a six. Okay. Depends on how diligent I'm being in my practice, quite honestly. Uh-huh, right, yeah. But true that, true that. Tom? I would say probably about a five or six also. It's, uh, I'm getting a lot better than what I used to. I was used to fly off the handle, 
And a lot of times I would fly off the handle because I thought I was supposed to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now I'm getting more where sometimes I won't fly off the handle usually unless it really uh, uh, ticks me off, I guess. But uh, I'm more... I more tend to be more accepting of it as versus not, you know. And sometimes I just say, you know, if I can change it, I will. If I can't change it, well, you know, I'll. Uh, there's no worrying. Uh, there's no sense in worrying about it. But yeah, I'm doing better than I used to. Yeah, you know, I've been having a really challenging time with Donald Trump. Uh, it's really supported me in um, in uh, upping my practice, my game. Uh, it's forced me to because I can, like, talk about unforgiving thoughts, talk about frenetic thinking. Um, I would say I'm a good five or six, too. Because um, I would say that, especially initially, I can feel the reaction. It doesn't necessarily mean that I act on it, but I definitely have, and I will say my recovery time has greatly improved, or, you know, I can move through things a lot quicker, but, um, yeah, I still get reactive sometimes. Uh, Reading this, I I was reminded of, like, you know, an experience of when I was just trying to get Amina on my damn side and a judgment I had about somebody and she just wouldn't do it. And I finally <laughs> said, will you please just tell me that he's an asshole? And she goes, no. <laughs> and because uh, I was having a judgment. I was trying to find evidence and proof. I was trying to bring it to court, court Amina. And so she would get on my side, and she just wouldn't. And um, it's true. We really have to work. That's what it's saying. Is we have to work at those judgments. We have to work at not liking people. We have to work to find proof as to why someone is bad. And forgiveness is just, it just is. It has, it releases the judgments and the opinions and simply just observes what is. Leaning into the truth of what is and what always has been. So in Reality, when we awaken, forgiveness will be unnecessary, but it is a tool, it is part of an illusion that supports us in awakening. It's forward-moving, it's life-giving. As a word of of encouragement to you all, there's something that happens in the aging process. As you get more and more experiences under your belt, and you see the kind of patterns and you see there really is an evolution of growth there's a a part of wisdom is an acceptance of so and you know all the relationships I've had and all the deaths that I've had and and it just you you get to the point where instead of fighting and trying to make things be what I think they should be. And I've had that thought so many times. This is going to be the perfect relationship, and then the person dies. This is going to be the perfect relationship, and then the person dies. So the, the perfect relationship, like the perfect anything, is just the relationship with God when there's no separation. That it's not about anything external. And that 
happens as you get older. There's more and more experiences, and you just get to let them go. You get to see that it's not really what you thought, or this person angered me. It's not really what, what was going on. So uh, it's, it's good. <laughs> Age eating is good in that sense. For some people. <laughs> for you, Brian. <laughs> for you. Because I've had a spiritual uh, perspective yeah, through it all for a long, long time. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I remember working well, with the gay elders. They're like, there's elders and there's olders. Not everyone, wisdom isn't uh, a mandatory byproduct of the aging process. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm glad you uh, brought up your response time is, is better because I feel that too. And I, I feel like. Yeah, I might feel that sting or whatever, but I don't. I recover quickly, or I don't totally go there. I I have a thought, and then I can correct it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, listen, everyone. Let's read the last section of this so we can complete this reading. I am so in love with this reading. I love this. I think it was written so well, and offers such a clear explanation of forgiveness. So um, uh, I believe we're at Stephen. We'll begin paragraph five. Do nothing then and let forgiveness show you what to do through him who is your, your guide, your savior and protector, strong in hope and certain of your ultimate success. He has forgiven you already for such is his function given him by God. Now must you share his function and forgive whom... Forgive whom he has saved, whose sinlessness he sees, and whom, he, and whom, wow, this is a tongue twister, and whom he honors as the Son of God. Faced with this dark contrast between forgiveness and unforgiveness, what then are we to do? Do nothing then. We are not called upon to do. We are called upon to cease doing because there is nothing that needs to be done. To the ego, to to do means to judge, and it is judgment we must relinquish. If we feel there is something that must be done, it is a judgment that affirms lack within ourselves, and there is no lack. That 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 is what we must remember. To believe that something must be done is a denial of our which has never been diminished. Let forgiveness show you what to do through him. To forgive ourselves means to take our hands off the steering wheel of our lives, to stop trying to make things right, which only affirms that something is wrong. To forgive others means we stop thinking it is our job to correct them. The Holy Spirit is one who knows what we should do if anything, and his guidance will often surprise us. Yes, there may still be something for us to do, but we will not be the ones to determine what that is. Our doing is so often deadly, quenching the spirit instead of affirming it, imparting guilt instead of lifting it. The Holy Spirit is my guide and savior and protector. In each situation where I am tempted to do something, Let me stop. Remember that my judgment is untrustworthy. Let go and give it into his hands. He is strong in hope 
as certain of your ultimate success. How often in a time when I am judging, whether myself or another, am I certain of my ultimate success? Let me then give the situation into the care of one who is certain. He will show me what to do. He has forgiven you already, for such is his function. Each time I bring him some terrible thing I think I have done, let me remember he has forgiven you already. I do not need to fear entering his presence. His function, his reason for being is to forgive me, not to judge me, not to punish me, nor to make me feel bad, but to forgive. Why would I stay away an instant more? Let me fall gratefully now into his loving arms and hear him say, what you think is not the truth. What you think is not the truth. He will still the troubled waters of my mind and bring me peace. There is another part to forgiveness. Since the Holy Spirit has already forgiven me, carrying out his only function, I now must share his function and forgive whom he has saved. Consider what, he has, consider what we have said about the way the Holy Spirit interacts with us, how we can come to him with our darkest thoughts and find him absorbed and dissipated in his love. The utter lack of judgment, his gentleness with us, his acceptance of us, his knowledge of our sinlessness, his honoring us as the Son of God, unchanged by our foolish thoughts of sin, Now we are to share his function in relation to the world. Now we are to be his representatives, his manifestation in the lives of those around us. To them we offer this same gentle kindness, the same conviction of the inner holiness of each one we deal with, the same quiet disregard for thoughts of self-condemnation in everyone we see or speak to or think about. It is the privilege of the forgiven to forgive. What we reflect to the world is what we believe in for ourselves. When we judge, condemn, and lay guilt on those around us, we are reflecting the way we believe God is toward us. When we experience the sweet forgiveness and the loving presence of the Holy Spirit, we reflect that same to the world. Let me then enter into his presence, allowing him to look upon me, to find him quietly doing nothing, but simply looking and waiting and judging me not. Let me hear him tell me of his confidence in my ultimate success, and then let me turn and share this blessing with the world, giving what I received. Only as I share it will I know for sure that it is mine. Oh, so I love that we can't make this stuff up. So circling back around, it is that, you know, invitation to hand it over to the Holy Spirit. Hand it over to that aspect of ourself, the guy that sees our innocence, that knows the truth. Allow that to be our guide. Allow that to be our decision maker. Take our hands off the wheel because, you know, uh, we uh, I think we talked about this before. You know, our plan, what we want, won't necessarily make us happy. 
But God's plan is designed to make us happy, even if it doesn't bring us what we think we want, what we think we need. Hand it over to Holy Spirit. Allow that to be our guide. Practice stillness. Practice quieting your mind so you can hear clearly the guidance. That's what meditation is for, for us. That's what quieting the mind is for, so we can hear clearly the guidance of the Holy Spirit. It's all designed to support us in awakening to our true self. Any last thoughts on forgiveness? All right, your homework assignment for this week is to marinate on today's class and then write in the Facebook group what is forgiveness to you. Share what your perspective of forgiveness is or you can share how um, it has changed for you or any new insights you have. Also, I know this is the reading assignment this week, but just review, be prepared to discuss in next week's class um, chapter one in our spiritual resources, The New Life by Grace. To highlight, take notes, um, and we can read sections of it, but we won't read the whole thing. Uh, we're going to be using this as a guide to our talk about spiritual counseling, facilitating, all that stuff. And I'm working on uh, writing out all the guidelines for spiritual counseling so we can begin that process as well. My goal is to have that ready for next week. Um, Any questions? Today was great. Yeah, oh my gosh, wasn't that that yummy? (laughs) Jesse, have you been listening in on my phone call? Have you been tapping my home? What's going on? <laughs> yes. In the one mind, the one mind is really working. That is probably the uh, most freeing, freeing thing about this whole process is uh, that God knows everything, that there's no hiding anything, there's no private thoughts, and there's no mm-hmm. need to have a private thought. That mm-hmm. is so liberating. And looking forward to that when we when we think about uh, the life in heaven, the transition that all thoughts are known instantly. Boy, is that free! Yes. Amen. So let's take a deep breath in, connecting to our heart center. So grateful, so thankful for the opportunity to come together. What a great class! Thank you, God, for this wonderful material that is supporting us and. Unlearning everything that doesn't serve us so we can just stand in the light as the light. Be teachers of God. Be your messengers. Oh, yes, 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 yes. So good. We also lift up right now, we lift up our sister Mar, surrounding her with light and love, knowing that where she is, God is. Knowing that where she is, all the potential of the universe resides, all the creative essence, all the beauty, all the joy, all the light, all the love of the universe is active and ready to express freely as her life. So you just lift her up, surround her with light and love. 
We do the same for Tom and Stephen and Amina and Brian and Jesse. And we go forward with our hearts and minds perfect congruency this evening, available and willing to hear your guidance. Holy Spirit, we can hand the rest of this evening over to you and we give thanks. In grace and gratitude, we let it be. And so it is. Amen, amen, amen. 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 Sleep well, my beautifuls. And I'm going to invite you all tonight, uh, before you go to sleep, just to hand over your dream time to the Holy Spirit and just say, Holy Spirit, I am available to know what needs to be known. I love you all. Have a great night. Love you. Thank you. Love you. Love you. Bye. Bye. All right. Good night.
Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac Wayne heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play, and boom! Onyeho Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured, it was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky. 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely.